Howdy folks, my name is Ed Moore. I will be your host for this episode of the Newsprint Commando. If you want to get in touch, you can blue sky me at Teal Productions. You can also tweet me at Teal Productions and or News P Commando. You can Facebook me at Teal Productions. Any of those methods, Teal is like the color, T-E-A-L. I am IndieMan at gmail.com is the email address, and Indie is I-N-D-I-E. ComicBookNoise.com slash TNC Tango November Charlie is the website. Now, this is the first of seven issues of X-Mutants that I am going to be looking at. This is uh, was on sale approximately, well, not approximately, but sometime in July of 1986. Now, whereas I said the previous episode talking about Elf Lord had kind of a mythical multi-volume before the volume that I was looking at, this book, X-Mutants, has to have one of the most convoluted publishing histories that I have seen. In five years, there were books branded X-Mutants published from four different companies. Eternity, Amazing Comics, Eternity Comics, Amazing Comics, Pied Piper Comics, and Malibu Comics. And they include titles X-Mutants. Uh, there was an annual. There was a special edition. There was a graphic novel. There was a winter special. There was Lawrence and Lim's X-Mutants. There was Lawrence and Lim's X-Mutants micro series. There was a solo X-Mutants series. So all of these different books from all of these different publishers all started within about five years. Now, once Malibu got a hold of it, uh, the X-Mutants title went for 18 issues. The Solo X-Mutants book went for five issues, so Malibu kind of stabilized everything once it got there. took about five years for it to get there, and uh, Malibu bought – they bought Eternity Comics. I believe they might have bought Amazing Comics. I forget. I think Pied Piper just went under, but all of this. And what happened is the initial company put out the book by – the creators, and then that company went under, and some of the creators went over here and took the rights with them, and some of the creators went over here, and they took the rights with them, and both companies started publishing the title with the same name, and then it went to court, and while it was at court, one of the books changed the name slightly to the Lawrence and Limbs X-Mutants, and then finally, the courts ruled that, well, this group actually had the rights, not both groups, and they kept publishing it, and et cetera, et cetera, until finally the um, Malibu Comics got the title and moved forward with it. Very, very weird stuff. Now, this book, X-Mutants Number 1, this came from Eternity Comics. This was scripted by David Lawrence and Anthony Pereira. Penciled by Ron Lim, inked by Mike Witherby and Tom Zon, uh, Tim Zahn, lettered by Bob Panea. The cover that I'm looking at comes to us from Ron Lim, Mike Witherby, and Steam, Steve Olaf, and it is a uh, it's a fighting cover. It's got a red uh, frame around it with black in the center, and then coming out of the center are our five primaries. Aaron, Vicky, Angela, Lorelai, and Belushi, all of them wielding katanas at the time. And uh, looks like all of them having double katanas, one of the girls, and I am not sure which one that is. I would have to reference her from inside the book. See if I can do that real quick. It appears Angela on the cover is, is dual wielding. The other three girls have a second sheathed katana, 
And then Belushi has a sheath katana on his back. The other three have them on their hip. So katanas were big in uh, 1986, one would suppose. Now, you can find this title reprinted in X-Mutants, the special edition from Amazing Comics in 1987, number one. X-Mutants special edition number one from Amazing Comics in 87. So this came out in July of 86. Inside front cover, we're told that Eternity Comics will be bringing us one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books, one of which is X-Mutants. I'll go into the books a little bit more later on because there's a two-page ad for the books. But we open in a room with a big mirror, and Lorelai is standing in front of the mirror. We have some eyes looking at her through holes in the wall. Uh, everything is, is pretty trashed up here where she's at. And Lorelai is very non-human looking in reality, but the mirror is reflecting a very human reflection of Lorelai. So uh, seeing her personal narration here, one would suppose that the mirror image is a, a dream, what she wished she looked like, because her actual visage is very mutanty, cysty, very not human-y looking at all. Dr. Emmanuel Kugut comes in. Come, child. You will be a breed apart from the others. And behind him are four other mutants, along with Lorelai. That is five. That probably is the mutant visages of the five main characters of the book moving forward. And they do look very mu mutant, uh, mutant in that it is, they're, they're not human. And uh, bear with me, and I'll, I'll get into that a little bit. What a mockery of humanity we have become, he says, as he's holding her looking at us. And he has three eyes. That is primarily his mutation is that he has three eyes, one in his forehead. But nestled within you are genes that beg for release. What once were dominant are now recessive. We must restore humanity to the face of this planet. If we can, we can only try. And they all turn and walk out of the room, and they are being watched from a big hole in the roof and creatures around the hole watching down on them as they leave the room. Then we're told what happened. It started, perhaps, on a bright summer day in August of 1945, when one war ended and another war suddenly began. All the proper noises were made, the eulogies for the dead, promises it would never happen again. Uh, in those panels, the first panel, we have a large prop plane flying over a city, dropping a rather small bomb. Actually, I believe the first nuclear bomb would have been a little bit bigger than this. And then we see the mushroom cloud as the bomb explodes over Either Hiroshima or Nagasaki. I don't think it really matters which one. Um, fourth panel, for a long time, it didn't. Uh, the world promised it would never happen again. Uh, for, the, for a long time, it didn't. And life went on as usual on a planet mankind now could destroy. And we see just a regular city image here in the, in the panel. But one day it did happen. Someone somewhere, and let's face it, it really doesn't matter who, ordered the weapons used. And it's uh, somebody standing up with a fist thrown up, and, and he's got this. Uh, he, to me, he reminds me of Muammar Gaddafi. I don't know if that's who he's supposed to be. So everyone everywhere, Ronald Reagan, used theirs as well. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev, the Russian uh, dude that had the birthmark on his bald forehead. I don't know if that was Khrushchev or not, but whichever uh, Russian dictator that was. 
And that was the end of their story, the way survivors heard and believed it. But that was long ago and far away, when to make a simplistic truth mattered. And we see the Earth with um, from space with circles um, that are alluding to uh, atomic bomb impacts, and we see them everywhere. We have North and South America centered pretty much here on the planet, but we see them all along the outer rim of the planet as well. So the, the entire planet was engulfed in what we have called World War III. Now the sun burns hotter than it did before. Most of the ozone in Earth's atmosphere was destroyed. Wind blows harder and faster in the thinner atmosphere. Rains fall far too rarely for anything to grow in land most unsuitable for farming. Planet Earth barely survived. Mankind didn't. But here, among ruins, where once stood New York City, in a land that was America, something else did. And we have a visage of humanoids that are mutated going about their daily lives trying to find things, uh, what they need to survive, food, uh, basically food. They've got shelter kind of figured out, but they have to go out in search of food every day, unless they're cannibalistic. Good Lord, I think I found it. And this is Cougat digging in some rubble with a shovel. Someone off to the side says, hey, look, crazy old Doc Cougat, he's got something. Not for long, he hasn't. Big dude walks up behind him with the shovel and says, the whack! Smacks him in the back of the head with the shovel, which any other time would have knocked out or killed somebody. But here, Doc Cugat just falls down on his haunches and turns around rubbing the back of his head. Says, it's too late. Okay, Doc, we'll take that now. Mitchell, you moron. It's of no use to you. We'll decide about that. Uh, What is it? He says, looking at it. It's a compact solar battery, you fools. It can, ah, if you can't eat it or sleep with it, what good is it? And then someone else in the group points away from them and says, look, it's Douglas. I bet he's found some food. And so the group rushes off to see what Douglas is up to, right? (sighs) To you, Mitchell, it's worthless. But for those of us who are still a little civilized, it could change the fate of the world. Kugat is thinking as he watches the mutants leave, tucks the... What does he call it? Compact solar battery in his pocket here on his shirt. He's got a pen pocket. Then he uses a device to open up a hidden door to his laboratory, which we see, which he descends down below ground into. We see that Kugit is doing something in five chambers here that presumably hold individuals that are all swishy and awash in some sort of uh, concoction here. Once I set up the solar cell and connect it to my equipment, I'll have enough power, finally, to finish my experiment. Good. Vital signs are all strong and stable. The strain will be incredible in the last phase of the rebirth of the human race. And he's sitting here just watching these tubes bubble away, and uh, he descends into memories. The stories his father told him, the first atomic explosions, the accidental and deliberate exposures... The changes, first disease, then other subtler differences. Finally, war, when everything should have died and everything human did. He remembers the survivors partly immune to the radiation because he reasoned of a tolerance through previous slight exposures, but changed forever. But curiously enough, not once throughout the night, not even as he falls into an exhausted fitful sleep near dawn does he pause to wonder if the human race deserves to be reborn. And the process is done, and they're in these big test tubes here. Wait, they're emerging. I've done it. And each one says something and is named. Here we are, Doc, says Aaron. New and improved, thanks to you, says Belushi. Sigh. I'll say he is. Vicky. Easy, girl. Angela. We should all take it easy till we find out what happens next. Lorelai. 
So Vicky already has a thing for Belushi here because she she's liking what she sees. What happens next takes weeks, weeks of testing during which Dr. Kugit makes sure that the careful alterations made on his young charges have worked. Weeks of training, preparing for a hostile world, learning skills they'll need to survive and perhaps to do more than survive. But it's not all work. There are weeks of laughter, weeks of growth, weeks when the relationships among a scientist and his experiments among a doctor and his patients becomes something much more. Come on, kids. Time to get up. Uh, come back in an hour, Belushi says as he hits Dr. Kugit with a pillow. Why so early? Says uh, one of the girls. I, I can't keep them straight. Who is this? Vicky. We've got a busy day ahead of us, Kugit says. Today's the day you go out into the world. And so all of them are gathered up and dressed. Dr. Kugit, they ascend to the street level on an elevator. And he's introducing them to the world. They've never been outside yet. Uh, they all have the form of young adults. So they are either late teenagers, 17, 18, 19, or early-ish adults, you know, 20 to 23, 25, something like that. But that's that's about when they are. Kugit, uh, he's a mutant with three eyes, so it's hard to tell his age, but I would say he's the, you know, grizzled 40 to 50-year-old scientist that we see troped a lot. So he goes up and he introduces them to the car that he has made, a genuine post-Holocaust automobile equipped with two-way radio for us to maintain contact, and several other interesting extras as well. And he pulls a weapon, he pulls a pistol, and is waving it around, and he's keeping everyone away until he can make introductions to all the mutants that have gathered as he has been talking. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a pleasure to see you all here. Cut the crap, Cugit. What's going on? No game, friend. I've brought you all here for a special event, the rebirth of the human race. And then the mutants attack the ex-mutants who start fighting with elbow and sword. They kill, they maim, they behead. Uh, they protect each other's back. They do all of this, yatta, 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 until there are no mutants standing. They've all run off or have been killed. Dr. Cugit now says, I still don't understand. And Lorelai says, understand what? That they reacted with jealousy, suspicion, fear, natural, normal emotions. What did you think they'd do? Fall to their knees and worship us? I just wanted to show them that even today, life has possibilities. And the mutants are running. We'll tell great Fred. He'll know what to do. And one of them is thinking, I know I'm supposed to hate them. But man, they look just like gods. Yeah, wait till Fred hears. He'll tell us what to do. And so the mutants are running up into the Empire State Building, uh, the top of which has a big banner on it that says Fred. The ex-mutants jump in their car and get away. Dr. Cugit says, you know, they're going to go get Fred and they're going to come back in mass. So you guys go ahead and take off. You you do your st start your, your life journey. You're living out there. The mutants get up to Fred, who Fred reminds me of the big... Dude in um, the big dude that Master Blaster rode on in the uh, Mad Max movies. What was that? Three? Mad Max two or three? Master Blaster was the little dude that rode on the shoulders of a big dude. Well, that big dude half of Master Blaster is who Fred here kind of reminds me of. Great Fred, something terrible has happened in the city. Kook, it's gone completely crazy. I know. I have seen. This is what we're going to do. Meanwhile, kilometers away, the ex-mutants have set up camp for the night. So they're talking about, you know, this new world, 
Belushi kind of hits on the girls and they start messing with him a little bit. And then one of them, Aaron, brings food and they all eat food and they go their separate ways. Belushi is about to get into the tent with the girls or with some of the girls. And Lorelai's like, uh, you're forgetting something, Hotshot. Your tent's over there. And he was talking about, she repeats what he said, breeding stock. Get lucky. And one of the girls says, uh, Aaron says, I, I think he's kind of cute. They go in the tent and uh, Vicky barely allows him to start undressing to go to sleep before she jumps on him and starts undressing herself. If we have to repopulate the entire world, don't you think we'd better get started, she said. And and I, I can't help but think in a way that must be partially why uh, Doc Kugat chose four females and one male uh, so that he could spread his seed, as it were, um, rather than making a group of all males or a few more males than just the one. But um, they're going to repopulate the world. Now, rebuilding, if you need muscle, there's only one, you know, muscly person here, really, and that's that's Belushi. Uh, the other women will have primed female muscles, which can be significant at times, but not the bulk, typically, that males can uh, build up. So kind of curious about that aspect, the repopulating aspect. It makes sense why there's four females and one male, uh, in my mind anyways, my male chauvinistic mind, if you will, whatever, go away. So they're zooming down the road, trying to loosen their load. They got, no, sorry. Because uh, tramps like us, baby, we were born to run is the song that he's singing. Belushi, you idiots, slow down. Belushi, look out. I always knew he'd kill us all someday. I just didn't think it would happen, says one of them in, in their best Eeyore voice. Zooming down the road, and there's a big rock in the middle of the road. The car hits the rock, flips up, flings them out. The car lands on its roof. The five ex-mutants are scattered about in front. Five humans lay silent and still, we're told. While from the tangled wilds beside the road, something else approaches. And we see three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven heads with uh, glowy eyes. And we don't know that the eyes are glowing, but then that way you can tell that they're there is that their eyes are much lighter than the rest of the body. To be continued, we're told. Send your letters to Mutated Mail, 1207 Agnew Street, Moundsville, West Virginia, 26041, which is awesome. Because I live and have lived for most of my life in West Virginia. I am about six hours, uh, 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 pretty much the complete other end of West Virginia. I live in the very southern part. Moundsville is up north. Um, I don't think it's in the northern panhandle, if I recall. It's it's just west of the panhandle, kind of in that humpy part of West Virginia. It's where... Um, Morgantown, West Virginia is in that area too. That's where WVU is located for all you sports fans. I think Moundsville is located east of Morgantown, more towards the peninsula, northern peninsula, if I have to try to remember my junior high geography 40 years later. So this is X-Mutants number one. We were very nearly called it Young X-Mutant Samurai Humans until Saner Heads prevailed. Blame it on the market, I suppose. And that's that's how the letter starts. From uh, William Davison. And he calls out David, Dave, Ron, Bob, Mike, and Steve. Calls out for letters. Says you can subscribe to the book. Back to our regularly scheduled comic book, he says at the end. Next page. Two pages. Two-page ad for the direct marketing comic book company of, of Peachtree Street Commerce, California. 
and you have your price list here of some man, some pretty sweet books, some Robotech stuff. I guess that's going to be from uh, Kamiko about now. Mr. Monster Myth Adventures here, Laser Eraser and Press Button, GI Joe Elementals Justice Machine. Oh, good stuff. Next page is an ad for. Super Universe series of comic shops, and there's eight different addresses here. Massachusetts, Rhode Island, California, Florida, although the Florida one says coming soon. Next page on the – we are on the right-hand side now. uh, Advert for Eternity Comics book Wayfarers, number one. Next up, Earthlore, the Reign of the Dragon Lord and Ex-Mutants, number three ad on the next left-hand page. Right-hand side, Ninja number one and Figment with a P-H-I-G number one on the right-hand side. Page turn, left-hand side, Mites number one. And the Mites bear a striking resemblance to the X-Men. Ninja Funnies number one. And inside back cover, Eternity Comics presents X-Mutants number two coming soon. So I'm holding number one. We have an advert for number three in with all of the other Eternity books. And then on the inside back cover, we have an advert for issue number two. All of this is in black and white, of course. On the back, we have an advert for Japanese toys, models, and books. Huge selection. Hundreds to choose from in our mail order catalog. Visit our four California locations. Comic Castle. And it's, uh, okay, this is one of the, yeah. So it's in San Diego, Point Loma, National City, and Hollywood. Comic Castle. And this is specializing. The ad here um, has a trademark for 1986 Harmony Gold, which is Robotech, because there's a uh, one of the Robotech creatures here in, in red relief in the ad. Good, good fun stuff in my mind. Uh, takes me back to enjoying. Now, I've read this, but I haven't read all what will I get to? Probably seven issues of X-Mutes because I was not able to find them at, at the times they were coming out and subsequently had to wait until I was older with, shall we say, discretionary income and was able to acquire um, the rest of these. Now, I don't have the Malibu series, although I did buy most, if not all of them at one time. I subsequently sold them. I, I bought them at the time they were coming out. Uh, These earlier volumes, though, are a little bit more interesting to me than the Malibu ones. The Malibu has kind of the same feel, but by 1980 or or 96, 92, 92, 93, Malibu was a little bit more, I don't know, mainstreamy kind of feel. Although I did like their um, Ultraverse stuff, and uh, I'll put out there in the universe that there needs to be an Ultraverse show or an Ultraverse series of shows, uh, Fire and Water Guys. You need to pull that back together. But I enjoy it. It it puts me back momentarily where I was when I read these. I, I try to put aside, you know, my 55-year-old whatevers and remember when I was uh, 80, uh, where I was in 1986. Alrighty, guys, I'm back. don't know if you heard that. That was the wife calling. And for those of you that have one of those wife things, you know when she calls, Everything else stops. That's the way it's got to be, man. Uh, so, yeah, just a really good, fun comic. I'm, I'm really looking forward, I think, this year to talking Elf Lord and X-Mutants. Haven't gotten into Pacific comics, but I've, I've been digging the Pacific comics anyways, and they're, they're really going to start hitting their stride uh, during this year of, of coverage of their books. This will be, what, the second year that I've talked about 
and the second year of their publishing history uh, for Pacific Comics. I'm I'm really looking forward to them too. So, Newsprint Commando, it's uh, stacking up to be uh, pretty pretty fun this year. So next time you hear from me, it should be Captain Victory and <gasps> Gru, not Gru the Wanderer. That was the Marvel book. This is the first volume of Gru from Pacific Comics. Hey, cool beans. Hope those are easy easy to talk about. Sometimes those humor books with a lot of visual gags, they, um, they're a little hard, hard to talk about. I once tried putting out a tick show, and uh, just there was so much visual gag to that book that I just didn't feel that talking and describing every visual gag, at least that I was able to catch, it just it, it kind of bogged things down and, and everything. So I, I just... I gave up on that project. I recorded about two or three episodes. And I don't know. It just wasn't feeling right. But hopefully Gru uh, is a little bit better. Sergio Aragonis, a little bit different artist than what um, Ben, uh, yeah, not Ben Dunn. Um, well, anyways, I forget the tick artist's name. Uh, you know what I mean. So, all right, guys. Um, Pacific Comics next episode. I'll talk to you guys then. Ciao.